Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. This is week three, the final week of kind of this anxiety series we've been in, uh, and so by the end of today, we'll have fixed everything. Uh, just kidding. Um, that's not quite how this works, but there is so much to talk about and tackle. Um, hey, if you're new or if you haven't been coming around for too long, we really are so glad you're here. Um, like Emma and Nathan said, we just love that you're here. We hope you feel welcome. We hope you feel uh, like you don't have to wear a mask in this place and, and fake it and pretend to be anything uh, that you're not, but instead be who you are, but also not stay that way and be called out of uh, our brokenness into who he uh, has designed us to be, which is to look like him unapologetically. And so we preach this book here. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, grab one on your app. We are going to dig into it. And, and a part of our ministry is constantly going to be in God's word. But also there's Bibles all around the room. Take one on your way out. That is our gift to you, and we'd love, uh, we'd love for you to have a Bible. All right, uh, I am a very visual person, and so um, I am going to use this visual also because we're covering a lot of content uh, today, and so I don't want us to get too lost because we're jumping into so much stuff. So these are pots of soil. See, they've got soil in them. Um, and what I want to do is I want to do a little bit of review of what we talked about uh, two weeks ago, which was really setting categories of where anxiety and brokenness uh, comes from. So I want to set some, some review there, and then I want to tie in too, last week, if you were here, uh, was, was honestly incredible, um, where we really got to see Amy speak into narratives that we believe. Uh, so week one, we kind of set categories to not oversimplify the problem of anxiety, to not oversimplify, oh, you're anxious, you just need to believe this thing or pray this prayer or do this spiritual thing or listen to this podcast and then it'll all go away. I think anxiety is a, a really complicated issue that I think needs to be handled very delicately. And then last week, we kind of stepped into what are, some of the, what are some of the lies, what are some of the narratives that we believe that feed that? And so then this week, we're gonna unpack some of that stuff and then specifically talk about the soils in which anxiety grows and how we find freedom, how we filter uh, anxiety in a healthy way. <clears throat> so um, I've got here three three pots of soil, uh, and then uh, for, for the sake of this illustration, I have, uh, I've, I've honestly nerded up a little bit recently in just the idea of soils, and, and soils have different pH levels, right? Have you ever thought, like, why? Where are my California people at? California people? Okay, good, yeah. So you guys are able to grow plants in California that we are not able to grow here as well, right? And then if anybody from Maine, you're able to grow things in Maine that we're not able to grow in California in the same way. And the reason for that is because different soils grow different things. They have different pH levels. Literally, if you go to Home Depot, there's an entire section with just different soils and different, um, different pH levels and different things you add to soil. There's literally things you can add to soil to, to, make, um, to make your flowers turn pink or, or acidity to make them turn more blue and all of these things. And so what I want us to look at is anxiety grows in our life. And I want you to picture anxiety like a weed. For some of us, it's really subtle. We don't really know it's there. For some of us, anxiety is very debilitating. And it feels like not just a weed, it just feels like this all-encompassing vine that we've got to feel like, how do we get free from it? 
So what we talked about with some categories, and what we're going to zoom in is, is where that kind of comes from. And so one of the soils in which produces anxiety in our life is the idea of the influences of the world. That anxiety doesn't come from just one oversimplified source, but the influences of the world, meaning we live in a world um, that is consistently and constantly telling you what to believe, what to value, what you should look like, what success is, what happiness is, all of those things, from the soil of the influences of the world is going to produce uh, some, some anxiety in your life. If that soil is heavy in your life, that's, that's going to produce something. Uh, the other thing is our body and our brain. And I, I say this, I think this is really important. Um, there are people in this room, people in my life, um, even in seasons of my life, where it's, it's not that I'm believing the lies of the world or I'm drowning in some achievement ladder that the world, the influence of the world is telling me to achieve. Um, it's, it's also that, man, there's just patterns that we build. Um, from this soil, oftentimes there can be trauma. Because one of the things we talked about week one was uh, not just the influences and the standards that's placed on you from the world, um, but also the idea of the sin of the world, brokenness, things that have happened to you from, from things that God, God doesn't orchestrate, God doesn't author, but horrible things that happen in our world um, because we live in such a broken, skewed, upside-down world that oftentimes there's trauma here that then really does rewire the brain. Um, and in this series, I've gotten to study a lot just about God's design of the brain. We talked about the amygdala, this thing. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it or, or just read on the amygdala. It's so fascinating just how God wires the brain and how, how you literally just at times can't control it if you've ever experienced a panic attack. And, and somebody's just telling you, oh, well, just stop. Or, or they're just telling you, well, what's going on? And you can't articulate it. It's because literally you can't access your frontal cortex when you're in that trauma. Because you just can't access it. Your amygdala is fired and your brain can't access logic and reason and you can't reason. And it's a, it's a real thing. And so to just meet somebody in that place and say, oh, well, you just need to pray more, I guess. Oh, man, you're really suffering with some real debilitating anxiety and suffering with some panic attacks. Well, I guess you just aren't having good quiet times. I think a lot of times that can be really hurtful. I think it's very well intended for Christians to say, well, you just need to believe God more. He's got this. And, and although that is true, there is a depth to our belief that is absolutely freeing from anxiety. It can be really hurtful and also oversimplifying. So the idea is sometimes there's just behavioral patterns in our life. We don't even know they're there. Even the idea of anxiety being something that everyone is affected by. And if you're thinking, well, I'm, I know really anxious people and I'm not an anxious person, that might be true on the, on the scale of how it manifests itself in your life. But it's still there. It's still at the core of everyone's life. It just might manifest itself differently. You might not think that you suffer with anxiety in the same way as somebody else, but you might get angry quickly, right? If you've got a lot of stuff on your plate, you might be really quick to anger and have a really short fuse, or you might be a nail biter and just chew your nails and you don't really know why, or you might, all of those things that stress can, we don't even know that our body is telling us that we're anxious because it manifests itself uh, in different ways. Um, everyone has it in, in some form or the other. And then the last category of soil that can produce these weeds is the idea of being distant from God. This is based on the idea, and we'll talk about it um, in the third point, we'll talk about this idea that we believe unapologetically here that you are designed, that that book says you are designed to be in a relationship with the God of the universe, 
that you have a creator who designed you, who created your brain, who has, has built and has called you to a relationship with him and outside of a relationship with him, outside of the churchy word fellowship with him, walking with God, then there will be unhealthy soil in which weeds will grow. And you might not even identify that that's why those, those weeds of anxiety are producing, but it's from this source of I'm far from God. I'm stuck in my sin. I, am, I, have, I have maybe always been far and I've never really connected to my design of being in a relationship with the God of the universe. We, we don't sign up for religion. Right? The gospel is not the transactional thing that then buys us our ticket to heaven. The gospel is the thing that introduces us to the table where I get to have a relationship with the living God of the universe. And when I am distant from him, then that is going to be a soil in my life that anxiety is going to grow. Each of these categories in your life, I want you to see. I want us to not oversimplify anxiety, to just be like, well, I guess I'm far from God. Or, well, I just have panic attacks and it's a, it's a trauma thing and I'm working through it with counselor and I'm, I'm working on medicine. That's a category, but it's not the only category. Or, man, just the influence of the world. If I just change the circumstances of my life, when I just graduate college and all the pressures of deadlines, then anxiety will go away, that it's way more complicated than that. So I want us to take a, a more holistic view of that. And so um, we've talked about those things. But I want us to zoom in. Last week, we talked about these lies, these narratives that we can believe that become seeds in those soils. So if you remember, Amy, and if you didn't hear it, go back and, and listen to that. There was such sweet, sweet truth, powerful truth in that of we believe lies that we are alone, right? That become these seeds that, that start to grow quickly in some of these soils. Uh, we believe lies that we are unfixable, which again are these seeds that we believe that grow. And then we believe this lie that we've got to control everything. If we can't control everything, then, then things are out of control and we can't trust and, and those become these seeds that pop up there too. Anxiety is real. God is not surprised by it. God knows we're going to wrestle with it um, and he speaks into it. So um, I got to preach last week at the Fort Worth campus, at the mothership, we call it. Um, and I got to preach on Matthew 6, which is about anxiety. And so um, I'm going to get to, praise God, tease out some of those things that we saw in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus directly steps into this idea of how do we filter? How do we get healthy soil? And let me, let me make no mistake. Our lives are not just one of these, right? They're all of these, right? For the sake of illustration, there is some of this in our life. There's some of this in our life, right? There's some of this in our life. And so our lives are a collection of these things that we've got to figure out, all right, Lord, how can we get healthier and healthier, richer and richer so that we walk in freedom? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. This is Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount to his people. He knows they're going to suffer. He knows we're going to suffer from anxiety. And he says, man, let me show you a path, a solution to freedom in anxiety. <clears throat> Jesus says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into an oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Such great stuff. We're going to use this passage, and we're going to break it up, and we're actually going to work backwards through this text, all right? And so I want us to walk backwards through this text, starting with uh, this idea of the influence of the world, right? That, that, that Jesus, if we kind of walk back through this, is really giving us this, um, this warning of, hey, the world will influence you. And so look, zoom in at, at those verses 31 through 33, and we'll put them up on the screen. Really, there's this idea of influence of the world that our first step, um, sorry, slides, um, our first step is actually to discern and filter. And so before we put the text up, I want you to, to be aware that our first step that we see in verses 31 through 33 as far as, okay, how do we deal with the soil of our life that's producing anxiety coming from outside, not our own spiritual life, not our own trauma, right? Maybe in, in some of our wiring and some of our patterns and behaviors, but from the outside, we discern and we filter. Look at what Jesus says. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. <clears throat> um, when Jesus uses that word Gentiles there, he's using that as a word to describe the world we live in, right? So to his audience of, of Hebrew believers, right, who were trying to figure out faith and trying to figure out what this new kingdom of, of Christ looked like, he uses the word Gentile there to say the world around you, the lost, unbelieving world around you. And then he says, this is how their worldview looks, the world around you, the Gentiles, are constantly asking questions. They're, they're constantly measuring a standard of, do I have enough? Am I, am I good enough? Do I have, have I provided enough? Do I look good enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I beautiful enough? Am I secure enough? Am I valuable enough? And so they're constantly living in this anxious world because of these, these questions, this thing that drives them. And Jesus is making this juxtaposition to the Gentiles to say, hey, if you're following me, you need to identify what the world around you is constantly teaching and preaching at you. Um, we have got to discern and filter, right? We've got to discern from the world around us the lies that are coming at us, the influences, the pressure, the, the upside-down values that are coming at us from the world, and then be able to filter those things out. We live in a crazy culture. You guys are drowning in standards and values of here's what, even just take, okay, two weeks ago, this has just been stuck in my head for two weeks. Two weeks ago, um, <clears throat> I'm a big Will Smith fan, right? Uh, also a big Chris Rock fan, love them both. Um, two weeks ago, right, Will and Jada, right, who have an open relationship, which means they're actively cheating on each other openly and aware of it in their marriage, right? Uh, that's something that they talk about and celebrate at times. Um, Chris Rock gets on stage and he makes a joke about Jada. We all know this, right? Makes a joke about Jada, disrespects Will's wife. He gets up, slaps him, right? Yells at him. The yelling was intense too. The slap, I was like, oh, and then the yelling, I was like, oh gosh, I feel uncomfortable. Um, <clears throat> it was all pretty uncomfortable. And here's why it's so uncomfortable. 
We spent the last two weeks as a world trying to figure out who the villain is in that, right? Like trying to figure out like, oh, well, yeah, he shouldn't have, but he shouldn't have. And, and, and the reality is it's all broken, right? The whole thing is broken and messed up. And, and I, I go crazy at times watching the world try to figure out what their values are. He shouldn't have said that about his, and that was disrespectful, but what she does isn't disrespectful. And so then slapping, that's obviously, cross. it was all broken. Right? And yet we are trying to constantly make sense of just a mess, right? We're trying to find these values. If you have ever watched, and I know you do, if you have ever watched The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or any, any, my wife is on one right now um, that is just awful. Um, I don't remember what it's called, ultimatum or mandate or something. You know what I'm talking about? It's horrible, guys. It's a train wreck. Any show that the world is trying to say, let me figure out how to find love and what these relationships, and it, I mean, it's entertaining in the sense of like, wow, look at those trains collide and all these people get hurt. In that way, yes, very entertaining. But it's all so broken. And, and its values are all so wrong and we have to identify. We wonder, man, why are we so anxious? And then we look at the world around us that is telling us this is what love looks like. This is what beauty looks like. Beauty is being redefined constantly by our world, right? What was beautiful or what was really attractive five years ago is not as much. And five years from now, if you're like, this is the standard of what beauty looks like, it's going to move on you. It's going to shift on you. What success looks like, right? What success looks like now, you're being told this is what you need to achieve. This is, what, this is how you're going to really be valuable, this is what achievement's going to look This is where your worth is going to be. It, it's moving targets from our world. The Gentiles, the non-believing world around us is constantly asking those questions and have a skewed view of what that looks like. And then we wonder, why is all this anxiety? Because we've got this soil that has this specific pH level that just is prone to anxiety. So we've got to be able to see that. We've got to be able to see it. We've got to be able to discern it got to be able to discern it and then we've got to be able to filter it out and say no that's not truth that's not truth that's not truth and I'm going to tell us how to do that here in just a second but there's also a positive this isn't just in Matthew 6 31 what he says here isn't just don't do with the Gentiles if you notice he also says there's a positive it's not just the negative of stop doing this stop being like the non-believing world he also gives this positive you see what it is verse 33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There is a call to also reorient your kingdom. To yes, discern and filter the world around us and the, the soil that we live in. But also to discern and filter, but also to reorient positively his kingdom. His kingdom. My question for you this morning, are you trying to build your own kingdom or are you seeking his? Right? Are you trying to build your kingdom, what you want, put yourself on the throne, or are you seeking his? Um, we're all doing that, right? We're all investing. There's only two options, right? I'm either investing in, in his kingdom or I'm chasing after my own. It's a, our default setting is that. My default setting is I want to be about me. Why wouldn't I? I'm inherently, inherently selfish, his kingdom is the idea of his domain. And we talked about the last few weeks, we kept putting a slide up there of his domain and our domain and what I can control and what he can control. Um, and all of the root of my sin ties back to this idea. Everything in me 
of my sin ties back to this idea of Genesis chapter 3 at the very beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they eat of this fruit. And what's the, what's the promise that they're given? The promise that they're given is you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. You will be like God. And they ate of that fruit and all of my sin in my life and throughout the history of scripture ties back to this idea of I want to be like God. I want to be God in my life. I want to sit on the throne. I want it to be about me. And I might even be okay with God. I might come to church, but only as my VP. I'm going to sit on the throne, but I'll take as much God as possible to help me as a, as a side piece to my kingdom that I'm going to build. And so then God becomes this accessory. Help me, God, build my kingdom. And it's backwards, and that's not what Christ calls us. He says, this isn't about you. This isn't about your kingdom. You're not designed to sit at the throne. And if you try to, you will be anxious. He is king, not me. <coughs> and the sooner I learn that, the sooner I learn that I'm not designed to sit on the throne. I'm not designed to be in control of everything, that I make decisions, I'm wise, I'm thoughtful, I plan ahead, I work hard. The, the opportunities that God gives me, he gives me a job, he gives me an education, he gives me uh, an interview or an internship or whatever it is, I do good with those things. Then the things that I can't control in his domain, I say, Lord, I want you, I want to trust you, and I want to seek the things that are yours. So what does seeking the kingdom look like? real tangibly. What's it look like to discern and filter? What's it look like real tangibly? <clears throat> it looks like, one, being in his word. I can't seek God's kingdom if I don't know what his kingdom looks like. The Sermon on the Mount, right, which is the where we're at. We're in chapter 6 of Matthew, and the Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7. Um, all of the book of Matthew, all of the book of Mark, right, the Psalms, uh, the book of Galatians. I mean, this is this is a Bible full of Here's what my kingdom looks like. Here's what I value. Here's what's beautiful. Here's what success looks like. Here's what makes you worthy and valuable and worth it. All of those things, I've got to be in his word. I've got to be in his word if I'm going to seek his kingdom. I've got to be with his people who are in his kingdom, encouraging me, spurring me on, challenging me. Right, I, I can't just be a lone ranger being like, I'm going to pursue his kingdom and, and, and I'm just say I'm going to be strong enough on my own. I'm just going to have really good quiet times every day and then I'm going to live fully in the world and think that I'm not going to be heavily influenced, think that I'm not going to be snuffed out by weeds. And then lastly, that I'm prioritizing his agenda, which comes from being in his word. Am I prioritizing his agenda? So when we say, are we seeking the kingdom first? That's what we mean. Are we, are we learning what his agenda is? Are we loving the lost? Are we loving those who are hurting? Are we loving those who are marginalized? Are we loving him? Not out of earning it, but out of, are we aware of how he loves us? All of those things. Okay, second one is this. Second one is this idea of body and, and brain. And I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time here, um, partly because I'm not a doctor, right? I'm a pastor in your life. And I think as a pastor in your life, it's really important that I don't, um, I use this word really carefully, but over-spiritualize everything. I think, I think the spirit of God is over everything. I think God is in control of our body and our brains. But I also think as I've studied, as I've, some of you guys are aware, I've got a, a, an incredible mom who also struggles with uh, some mental health issues and those kind of things. I've also learned as a pastor that, hey, there's medicine and there's doctors and psychiatrists that can be a part of God's grace in your life. And so I, I think we do need to look at that and we do need to realize that's a category and we do need to realize that, man, some of us have experienced trauma 
and there's triggers to that trauma and there's things that we really need to work out. But here's what I would say as an application for, okay, well, I've got those things. What do I do? First, give grace to yourself, right? Give yourself some grace. If you feel like there's things that you just feel like are broken, you don't know why you just keep suffering the way you're suffering. And, and, and then on top of feeling like your brain doesn't work the way you want it to work, right, or your body doesn't function or anxiety affects you or depression affects you or whatever it is affects you in ways that you're not proud of and you don't feel like you can control, on top of that, we then layer on this spiritualism of like, I don't want to talk to people and oh, that's shameful and give grace to yourself. We're all a bunch of broken people. Um, Matthew chapter five, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, um, I'm just gonna give you a few of the Beatitudes. He starts to reshape the kind of person that we should celebrate, the kind of person that, that we can value, that we don't have to hide some of our brokenness. Look what he says in Matthew 5, verses 3, 4, and 5. A couple of these Beatitudes, he says, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what we see in, in really Christ's kingdom is we see this kind of reversal of values that all of a sudden th- this wouldn't make sense to the world he's teaching, right? The world he's teaching at is, is saying, well, man, I need to be strong. I need to look strong. I need to be powerful and in control and I can't show weakness. And here he's saying, wait a second, if you're poor in spirit, right? Man, blessed is yours. If you're meek and humble, and we live in a, a contradictory world, but he's taking that and he's flipping it upside down and saying, hey, your meekness, right? Your mourning, those things that I think oftentimes we just say, I got to hide that. I'm grieving. I'm mourning. I'm not strong like that person. I need to fake it until I can make it. I, I think there's a lot to be said about saying, hey, give grace to yourself and ask for help, right? Give grace to yourself and ask for help. If you find yourself in that category and you realize, man, there is soil that is producing some pretty gnarly anxiety that I don't feel like I can control, and it's not just because I'm overwhelmed with the standards, although this is definitely a part of that, and it maybe isn't just because I'm not good enough, I'm not walking closely enough. There's some things that I need some more help with. Ask for help. Ask for help. It is good. It is biblical, right? This truth that Christ speaks over should give us the confidence to not have to hide to bring other people in. But people now know that I'm broken. If I ask for help, people are going to know I'm broken. People are going to know there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Welcome. Welcome to Christianity. Welcome to humanity. Would we be a community that is able to have grace for each other and ask for help? It's God's design, right, to be in community, to seek help in communion. So my question even is, are you in biblical community asking for help? If this is you, if you find that there is some soil here, are you in biblical community, community people who love the Lord, who are set on his agenda, who are trying to prioritize his kingdom imperfectly as we are, asking for help? And let me be real clear, um, it doesn't mean that the biblical community is your savior. We're not. Right, you, you go to a pastor or you go to a church or that's church hurt happens all the time because we have unrealistic expectations of what that pastor or what that small group leader or what that volunteer at the church is going to be able to do. And so we put these expectations of, okay, I'm gonna go ask for help from this biblical community. 
you guys now need to help me. And that's not God's design for me as a pastor either in your life. Or Amy or Nathan or Francis or any of our staff or, or leaders or, or student group leaders or family night leaders. Um, that's not God's design for them. But it is God's design to be able to help you carry those burdens and maybe help you find a next step. Maybe we're just a listening ear as you confess some things that maybe you'd never shared about some things that you're really struggling with. And maybe we can encourage, we can pray, we can hand you to a next step, we can, we can help you get in community, bring things into the light, all of those things. And so I want to make sure that, that with that question, uh, we also aren't making the mistake of thinking, oh yeah, biblical community, you're going to be my savior. And, and that's not our design either, but it is our design to walk openly with those burdens, to help each other walk with those burdens. But you're going to have to keep taking steps. The beauty is you don't have to take those steps alone. Right? It's not that you come and talk to me and I'm going to fix it or Amy's going to fix it. or You come and talk to me and at least then you're not alone. You're not hiding. It's not in the dark. And then maybe I can say, well, hey, let's take this little baby step. Let's try to pray through this. Let's try to walk through this. Let's try to get you connected to, to somebody else that can, that can help in some ways too. Let's get more more truth around us. Third and last category, <clears throat> distance from God. Um, this is huge. Uh, I, I cannot emphasize this one enough. Um, I think these two, I, I really want us to understand that they're there, but the power of God's proximity is overwhelming. Throughout Scripture, right, we see people who are living in horrible Horrible times, way worse than, I mean, constantly persecuted because of the times and the influence of the world they're living in, right? And talk about trauma, have also experienced crazy trauma. This book is full of people who are traumatized, living in a lost world that is trying to snuff them out. And yet, there are these men and women who have such proximity, closeness, nearness to God, that their life is still producing this fruit of peace, it's amazing. I cannot emphasize how important it is that we just get as close to God as possible. Um, and we start, we start, and the, the blueprint that Christ gives here is by remembering what he's done, right? I remember what he's done, and that gives me the confidence to approach this father who, who gives freedom, right? I, I don't want to be distant, and yet so often I'm distant because it's like, I don't know if I trust that person. I don't know, I don't know if, I don't know if I can approach that God, and, but what have I done? And I look at what I've done, and I look about maybe what I think, maybe I deserve, and maybe I stiff-arm God because of my own mistakes, instead of focusing on, not you, focusing on Him and what He's done in your life. Matthew 6, 26 through 30, Jesus says, look what He does, He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Look what he's doing. He's giving these two examples. Lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more? Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What's, what's Jesus doing? He's reminding us of Christ, of God's track record. He's reminding us of God's track record with this idea. He's reminding us, let's look at creation. Look at the faithfulness of God. Look how God, just in creation, never lets his creation down. Birds wake up and they are instantly broke, right? They have no food, no pantry, no refrigerator. A bird wakes up, it's got nothing. 
right? It's, it's, it's doomed. And yet God provides for a bird. And scripture is saying, you're so much more valuable than a bird. A flower, right? It can't hold on to its petals. You're so much more valuable than that. God's design through creation is I'm going to provide for you. I have provided for you. He says, remember, look at creation and now look at your life. You're more valuable than birds and flowers. You're his kids if you are in Christ. You're his kids if you are in Christ. And so remember, wow, God, look how you have provided for me. Spend time doing that. Honestly, ask yourself the question, are you spending more time worrying about how God, how you need God to provide more time, in, even in your prayer life, God, I need this, I need this. Would you do this? Would you open this door? Would you help me here? Nothing wrong with asking for what you want to need, but is it disproportionate how much we're focused on what we need from the Lord as opposed to focused on, God, look what you've done. Look what you've done in my life so far. <laughs> even just, even if you're having a hard time in the, in the near future seeing him move, then look back 2,000 years ago. You believe the God of the universe sent his son to hang on a cross so that you might not have to fake it in this room. You don't have to be spiritual enough and godly enough and have all the things down. You can approach the table simply because of the grace of God if you've surrendered to that grace through Jesus Christ. What happened 2,000 years ago? Say, yes, I need Christ. I can't do this. I can't earn this relationship with you, God, but I know I'm designed for it. That right there, the salvation and the sanctification, the maturity, the depth that comes from just this unbelievably eternal sacrifice 2,000 years ago. And then through my daily life, am I seeing through the lens of I remember what he's done and then from that place I now draw near. I remember what he's done and I draw near. I draw near to this God. I get in his word. I get around his people. All of those things we don't get in his word to, to earn him. We don't get around church people so we're checking boxes. We do it because we're designed for it. God, you love us. Would we have this relationship? So my question for you then there is are you constantly drawing near to God? We, 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 we float away. Right? The entire book of Hebrews that we spent most of this year was all about this idea of we drift and calling back to God, I need to, I need to draw back near to you. Through your grace, I need to draw back near to you. I need to be with you. I need to be with your people. I need to be reminded of what you've done and draw near. And when we are near, that's when he produces fruit in our life. One of the fruits of the Spirit is peace, right? This idea of peace from anxiety. It's this thing that's produced from us when we are close, when we are connected. Jesus in John 15 says, he used the word abide, to mean this idea of connect, surrender, be near. He says, abide in me as I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, right? If I'm a branch, he's the vine. I have to connect. I have to be connected. I have to abide. I have to draw near to him. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, that peace just doesn't come from me. I got to be connected to the source for that peace to show up in my life. And so I can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we believe that? Do we believe that 
I need to be near God if I'm going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's what his word says. Do we believe it? Do we act like it? Even if you say, yeah, sure, I do believe that. I do believe I need to abide and draw near, but are we acting like it? We abide. We, we surrender this idea of, God, it's you, not me. And really what that does is it produces dependence. Here's the last thing I want you to hear in, in this maybe sermon series for, for now, at least for the sermon. What if, what if the goal of our life is not just for our weakness to go away? What if the goal for your life, when you look at your circumstances, when you look at anxiety, is not just for that weakness and that anxiety and that brokenness to just go away so you don't experience weakness, you don't experience brokenness? What if the goal of your life is actually that dependence will grow? What if God has a bigger plan than just to protect you from hard things, just to protect you from anxiety so you don't experience that circumstance in your life or just to protect you from from this kind of brokenness that happens? What if his goal is actually, I want more of you. I want you to be dependent. I want your connection to me, the vine, to be so thick and so dependent and so rooted in me. And so what if the idea of anxiety can actually, our minds can shift to say, maybe this isn't just God, how will you show up to remove anxiety? But instead we say, God, how can anxiety push me to greater dependence? That yes, we want victory from anxiety, but that maybe victory from anxiety doesn't look like conquering anxiety, right? It looks like surrender. It looks like our anxiety pushes us to surrender to the one who does conquer and the one who does give freedom. And he gives freedom because I'm in proximity with him. And when I'm out there on the ledge and I'm feeling anxious, I say, Lord, I gotta be back closer to you. Maybe anxiety is a tool that God uses in your life. And yes, I want you to find freedom from it. But I don't want God to just be the accessory, accessory in your life to snuff out anxiety so you don't have hard, broken things. Our goal isn't just for weakness to go away. It's for dependency to the one, to our source, to grow. That's my hope. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Um, and God, we acknowledge we are broken. Uh, we acknowledge that there is a brokenness in us and a worldview even that um, we so often struggle with, Lord, um, that would tell us that we need to look this way or achieve this way, experience success or beauty in certain ways. God, would you, uh, would you help us to discern and filter? Um, would you help us to not only filter, would you help us to reorient our lives to who you are um, to what you would call us, to reorient our lives to your kingdom. And then we'd ask for help and then we'd draw near. God, help us to do those things, to filter, to reorient, to ask for help and to draw near. Because God, our brokenness isn't just this thing that we need a quick fix on. Our brokenness, God, is something that we need to trust you with and lean into you and trust that you use it, but also, God, that you set us free. And the amazing thing in all of that is it's not because we figured out how to do it or we've mastered the Christian life. You set us free just because your grace is that good. Because you're this gracious father who sees his kids, who value his kids more than the birds, more than the flowers. You value us. 
And so, Father, thank you for the grace that you see us with. That is truly amazing. Would we be overwhelmed by it in sweet ways? Would we be overwhelmed by your grace in ways that push us to celebrate, even when we're hurting, even when we feel anxious, that we would celebrate who you are, God? Would we be able to respond and worship? In the name of Jesus, amen.